On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Without a doubt, one of the greatest gifts of God is music. Can you imagine a world without song? Can you imagine Christmas without carols? For that matter, can you imagine Christmas in Mukilteo without the MPC Christmas Cantata? <laughs> Some things are so wonderful, you just have to sing about them. In ancient times, when God led his people, the people of Israel, through the waters of the Red Sea, saving them from certain disaster at the hands of Pharaoh and his army, the people were so overjoyed by God's goodness and love that they immediately erupted into song. Miriam took her tambourine and she began to sing and dance, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and riders thrown into the sea. By the way, that little phrase actually is one of the oldest songs recorded in history. So it comes as no surprise that when God came into this world in Jesus to save us all, his mightiest deed, that the angels should sing and that God's people should erupt in song, praising and glorifying God. God's mightiest deed, glory to God in the highest. And we've been singing and praising God with our, with our, with our voices and with our instruments to the glory of God ever since. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, was a great lover of music. And of music he wrote, and I just love this quote. If 
we can, there we go. I love this quote. Maybe you've seen it before. Every musician, everybody who loves music should take heart. He says, I wish to see all arts, principally music, in the service of him who gave and created them. Music is a fair and glorious gift of God. I would not for the world forego my humble share of music. Singers are never sorrowful, but are merry and smile through their troubles in song. Music makes people kinder, gentler, more staid and reasonable. I'm strongly persuaded that after theology, there is no art that can be placed on a level with music. For besides theology, music is the only art capable of affording peace and joy of the heart. The devil flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. And so this morning and in the next several weeks of this Advent and Christmas season, it just seemed appropriate to me to take a look at a few of our favorite Christmas carols, exploring the scripture upon which they are based and the excellent theology they convey. Now, I am am someone, I confess, who tends not to pay much attention to the words. I'm into the tune, but I'm not so much into the words. Actually, my family makes fun of me because I cannot (coughs) sing more than the first three words of any song. Actually, I can, but the rest is da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I realize that's too bad, at least for me, because the words are so rich, especially the Christmas carols, which convey the, the Christmas story in such a powerful way, a way that speaks to the mind and to the heart. So we, if you were like me, we would do well to pay more attention to the words. And so we begin with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, traditionally sung on the first Sunday of Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This song is probably the oldest Christmas carol we sing. The Latin lyrics of the song are probably more than 1,000 years old. The melody has been traced to 15th century France. And the words of the song were translated into English by a 19th century Anglican priest by the name of John Mason Neal. And he seems to have been the one who married the text to the tune and who brought the song to the attention of the public. The song found its way into the official hymnal of the Church of England in 1861, and from there it spread throughout uh, Christendom, the the various Christian traditions. And it's now one of the most beloved songs of the season. So what's so striking about this particular carol? It's a somber hymn that expresses so well our longing and our need for a Savior. It reminds us as Christians that we are to long for another country, one where the coming Messiah wipes the tears of the sorrowing and casts down the mighty from their thrones. Have you ever longed for something? I mean, really longed for it? That deep yearning and desire for something to to have 
or to experience or to taste or to hold. Perhaps it was as a kid that perfect Christmas toy under the, under the tree or the delectable taste of grandmother's cinnamon rolls fresh out of the oven. Perhaps it was that brand new release from your favorite artist or the newest computer or gadget or iPhone or whatever, whatever techno accessory that's on sale that you really need. Perhaps you remember longing for, uh, for home while you were away at school or yearning to spend just one more moment in the embrace of a loved one. Or perhaps you were longing to be extricated from some terrible situation or predicament in which you found yourself. We human beings are a bundle of longings and desires. There's something in us that always wants something more, whether it's simple, a simple longing for a new possession or as complicated as a desire for another. Today we enter into the season of Advent. We're actually not in Christmas yet. That's, you know, starts later. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we're in Advent. This is a season of spiritual preparation. It's a time to make ready. It's time to wait for the Lord and to get in touch with our deepest longings. Our readings, our music, our worship, and the messages this Advent season remind us that at bottom, what our heart longs for most what our heart cries out for more than anything else, whether we know it or not, is God himself. It was St. Augustine who said, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Only God can fill the hole in our hearts. More than anything, we need God to come to us in our spiritual need. In Old Testament days, our our faith ancestors longed for God to come. They yearned for a Savior. In the time of Isaiah, the prophet, the Israelites had been carried off into exile. Things were looking really grim. They were feeling uh, oppression from every side. They longed for a different world, a new way of life, a different life, free from oppression and war and violence. They longed to return to their homes, to their olive trees and to their families, to return to their way of life and to their God. They desperately wanted God to come and to save them. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, oh God, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. And so the people of Israel waited, affirming their faith in the one who would act on their behalf. And then in succeeding centuries, the people of God continued to wait in hope, longing for a Savior to come. And we read about Simeon and Anna. Both of them never ceased yearning, longing for the Savior to come. It was Simeon who waited for what he called the consolation of Israel. They waited patiently for God to act. They waited. They worshiped in the temple of God. And even though Israel was under Roman occupation and everything looked dark and bleak, they kept looking and watching and hoping and praying. And then finally came that glorious day when they were able to see with their own eyes the Savior, the one who had been promised. Oh, Lord, let your servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. 
Today, you and I wait for Christ to come again. The one who came 2,000 years ago promises to come again in this very moment and this Christmas and at the end of time. The season of Advent is a time to get in touch with our own deep longings for God and, and our need, the world's need for a Savior. And so we must ask ourselves, to what degree do you and I long for God to come again in a new way? Honestly, is that the greatest longing of our hearts? Do we yearn for intimacy with God himself? Do we long for God? Do we long for him like the prophets of old? Can we say with the psalmist, O God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for thee, O God. Is that, in fact, what we really want? To know him. To, to, to live for him. Do we seek God and the things God cares about? Jesus congratulated those who earnestly sought God and God's power for their needs. The woman with the hemorrhage, remember the, 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 bleed, the woman who had the bleed, who fought her way through the crowd just to touch the edge of Jesus' garment for healing. The centurion who stopped at nothing to find healing for his slave. The four men who opened up the roof to lower their friend down before Jesus so that, they, that, that, so that he might heal their friend. Jesus appreciated their earnestness, their great desire to know God and God's power. He commends those who seek him with all their heart, those who desperately need him. And if you and I are, are honest with ourselves, we will admit, really, that we have not wanted God enough. Our longing, well, we're just not in touch with our deepest longings. We fill our lives with all sorts of other things in an attempt to fill the God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. And we wonder why we are so unhappy, why, why we are so unsatisfied. We get that thing that we thought that we yearned for, and then we have to get something else. We keep ourselves so busy that we haven't had time to listen to what our heart has been telling us that it needs most. I think it was the writer Robert Louis Stevenson who, who spoke of the malady of not wanting. The malady of not wanting. Well, actually, wanting is not our problem. The problem is that we want the wrong things. Actually, I think it was Lloyd Ogilvie, the, the pastor, who said, our great need is for a converted wanter. <laughs> a converted wanter, that's what we need. A converted wanter will not only want Christ himself, but the things that he cares about. And what does Christ care about? That God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the poor be fed and the sick cared for and the lonely befriended and the stranger welcomed. He cares about peace and justice and an end to war and oppression. Fullness of life for all people. Shalom, the spread of his kingdom of righteousness. Life lived in right relationship with God and with one another. And we have to ask ourselves, is that what we care about too? Do we share his longing, his passion for this world? 
Is there a great desire, our greatest desire to see his kingdom come? And offer, are we offering ourselves to the Lord to be used by him to make that possible? This then ought to be our Advent prayer. Lord, I want to know you more. And I want to want the things you want. Come, Lord Jesus, and fill my heart with a passion for you and for the things you care about. And our longing for him will increase and our passion for the things of God will grow if we come to grips with our own spiritual need and the spiritual brokenness of the world around us. Unless we are aware of our own sin, we have no need for a Savior. Unless we are alert to the darkness within us, we have no need for one who came to bring us light. Unless we are more alert to the evil and injustice in the world and grieve over it, we will not long for the one to come who will finally make all things right. We will long for God when we recognize our own deep spiritual need. And that's really hard for us because we are proud people. We think we think we're doing pretty good. I mean, compared to other people, we're doing fine. Most of us are comfortable enough. We're in control. It's okay. We can get along quite nicely by ourselves. And we may wonder if we really need a Savior to come. What's there to be saved from if we're doing pretty good? But as the scripture reminds us, those who say they have no sin are only deluding themselves. In a sermon, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater to come. For these, it is enough to wait in humble fear until the Holy One himself comes down to us, God in the child in the manger. Jesus himself said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who are aware of their deep spiritual need, for God shall come to them. The way to enter into the deep spirit of this season is to be honest with ourselves, to come to terms with our own need, and not be blind to it, and know that one is coming who promises to save us. This is a time to take a spiritual inventory of our lives, time to examine ourselves. It was Mark Twain who commented, everyone is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. Well, that's true, isn't it? We're all moons. We have a dark side. We know it. We like not to think about it, but we know it. It's there. So this is a time to face the darkness within and everything that needs the Savior's touch. That's why this is kind of a, it's a somber beginning. Advent is not all about joy. It's a, there's, a, there's a sobriety to this season because we have to look at the darkness within and without and realize our need. So it means asking ourselves some tough questions. What in me still needs to be redeemed by the Lord? 
Where do I need the Lord's healing touch? What needs to be forgiven? What attitudes and motivations need to be changed? What struggles do I need to overcome? And are there repeated struggles with temptations and sin that have become patterns in my life and embarrass me, but before which I feel helpless? As Twain said, we all have our dark side. And the more we are aware of the darkness within, the deeper our longing for Christ, the Savior, should be. So before we sing joy to the world and hark the herald angels sing and proclaim the Savior's birth, let us prepare ourselves spiritually for his coming and wait before the Lord. In the busy round of the season's activities, carve some time out to be simply alone and through self-examination, get back in touch with your heart's deepest longings and bring those into the light of day where, and bring them before Christ for healing. Get in touch with your longing. That loneliness you feel when you're alone, you know, that loneliness you feel, the emptiness that you sense, is nothing less than the desire for God himself. So let him fill you with his presence and his love. Know that God will come to you if you ask him. Patient waiting in hope is rewarded as Simeon and Anna found out. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen.